Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to remind you that my short story is available for free at johntilton.com. If you sign up for my newsletter, I'll send you both the ebook and audiobook of Doomed Dune. In this middle grade adventure, a girl named Melina travels to a forbidden landmark guarded by tyrannical robots, but her life turns upside down when she discovers the true reason it's off limits. Discover Doom Doom Secret by heading over to johntilton.com. That's J-O-N-T-I-L-T-O-N.com. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Cause of Craft. I'm your host, John Tilton. Why do we create? Where do our ideas come from? What does our craft say about us? These are the ideas we explore here on the show. Each episode, I interview a different guest, from writers and painters to musicians and filmmakers. Together, we investigate the creative process and the reasons behind why we create. The age of the internet has given everyone more opportunity, including endless ways to overload ourselves with increased workloads, endless distraction, and busy minds. It can all be so overwhelming to navigate. This week's guest, K.A. Emmons, shares her approach to facing these challenges while running her business, selling books, creating videos, and podcasting. Kate recently released a new novel called Searching for Sparrow. We cover some of the themes in this book and why they're important to her. We also discuss why to live with intention, how responsibilities can prompt better focus, and much more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to the show, Kate. I'm excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me, John. I'm thrilled to be here. Can you describe a little bit about what you do? You have your I feel like you have your hands in a whole bunch of stuff. You have a podcast, a YouTube channel, you write books. Can you give us a little bit of what you're all about? Absolutely. Yeah. So I do quite a few different things. I am believe in being multi-talented is what my sister and I like to call it. I write books, uh, mostly fiction and urban fantasy, high fantasy books. I'm the author of the series, The Blood Race, and the follow-up series, Searching for Sparrow. I also run a podcast with my sister called The Kate and Abby Show, which is about writing, creativity, and how to stay inspired in your craft. And I also make YouTube videos, um, which kind of snuck up on me and took me by surprise because I never planned on becoming a YouTuber, but I live kind of a unique lifestyle in Vermont. So I live rurally and I'm a minimalist and I do a lot of sustainability practices. And I started sharing those on my channel and seeing such a wonderful response that I continued to make videos. And now I kind of have that as a whole side project in and of itself. So that's kind of, I I kind of wrap all those things up into one thing of like um, why I write and how I live and share a bit of that with my audience. Yeah. And these YouTube videos, a lot of the content there is what inspired me to invite you on the show. I think there's so much crossover to what you talk about and what we like to talk about here on the show. And especially what you're saying now about just this connection of all of life, you know, it's, it's what you produce, but also how you live and how it's so connected. Right. And I think that's such a meaningful thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I think today's culture, at least in a lot of Western culture, I'll speak for that, is um, this idea of like hustle and productivity and like keep making things. And a lot of people, I think, don't consider the fact because it's just around us all the time, this idea that we have to just keep going, keep making, keep producing on whatever level we're doing that well, what inspires us and fuels us to even create? And I think now more than ever, you have an epidemic of people, artists, creatives feeling totally burnt out and not even sure why. And I think we have to look at, well, what's what's the thing behind the thing? 
what is it that inspires and fuels us to create? Because we can't create from an empty cup, so to speak. We have to have things that we're filling ourselves up with first so that we can then give to others. So I like to look at that a lot in terms of lifestyle. So how am I living each day so that I find myself in a centered, grounded place where I feel like creating? So I think a lot of times we can force ourselves to try to create from a place of emptiness when we really need to dig a little deeper below the surface and look at how are how how am I living each day? What can I add to my day or eliminate from it that's actually draining me and I don't even realize it. It's actually causing me to feel like I don't want to create because I don't even feel fulfilled or at peace inside myself. Yeah, and it seems to be working well for you because you know, I look at what you produce and you still do create a lot of content. You have so much interesting things happening on your Instagram and YouTube channel and the podcast and your books. And I just think, you know, you talk about like this culture of hustle. Right. If I was to not know anything about you, I would look at you and think, oh, Kate must be a huge hustler. Like she's getting everything <laughs> right. done. Like, but is it your approach that allows you to like be efficient with this? Like, like how are you able to do so much and, and yet be able to also take a step back and breathe? Right. That's that's a great question because it definitely would look from if you're on the outside looking in, you would totally think this girl must be on social media a lot. She must be, you know, hustling and doing all the things, so to speak. But um, I think when we look at our schedules, at least for most of us, at least for myself, I started finding because a few years ago, I was not living this lifestyle. Like, let's just start there. I was on social media a lot. I was a new, newly published author. I published my first book in 2017, right after I got married. And I was like, okay, I really need to make this author career work. And so I was on social media all the time. I was doing all the things and I was just feeling totally burnt out and tired. And I started to think, you know, I don't know if I'll be able to do this. If this is what an author career is going to be like as an independently published author, I just, I feel terrible all the time. I don't feel like creating. I feel unhappy. I'm having to fill my days with, you know, constantly being on the computer, constantly being on my phone, having my phone with me all the time. Then I I came upon some stuff about minimalism and started learning about digital minimalism, minimalism in general. And it caused me to look at what I was doing differently. It caused me to look at, okay, how much time am I actually spending on my phone? How much time am I spending on my computer? And do I actually need to be doing that? And what I started to see was patterns that I would fall into that I was wasting time. I was looking at things that I didn't need to be looking at, scrolling through feeds And it was just cluttering my mind so much that it caused me to think about, hey, there's got to be a better way to do this. There's got to be a way to still be able to run a business, have a author career, run a podcast without having to just live on in front of a screen 24-7. And that's when I started to realize by scheduling myself and by using third-party apps and by deciding what devices I was using at what time of day, etc. Lots of little systems like that. I could really limit how much time I was spending on the computer and on my phone. And I even got to a place where I have been able to eliminate my phone completely from my life, which a lot of people are shocked by. And um, I 
definitely would say that that's specific to the person because not everyone can do that. Some people don't have a landline, which is mainly what I use. And it eliminates a lot of distraction because I just don't have my phone on. But you can come up with systems that drastically cut back your time on a device. Yeah. So this is inspiring to me because, and also encouraging to me because, you know, I haven't published a book yet. And so I was talking with a lot of different people as I was writing and, you know, looking to publish my work eventually. And everyone's telling me, oh, you should, you need your social media platform, all this stuff, which to me was a little bit of a bummer because I had actually come to some of these conclusions that you're talking about. Right. And I set social media aside for years and it felt really great. And then I found myself drawn back to it because I felt this, I guess I had this fear of, oh, I'm not going to be able to market my books or I'm not going to be able to find my audience of people to read. And and all I really want to do is create my art and have people experience it. And so I felt this pressure to get back into it. And so I did. And and what I found was there are these benefits to it. Like, like I've met a lot of amazing people, so many that I've also had on this podcast, you know, and if, if I wasn't using social media, I wouldn't have found yours and your sister's content. And that's really helped my writing as well. And so it's this kind of this like frustrating thing where it's it feels like it's both this necessity, but also this um, almost like this prison of of uh, right. social media, right? And yeah, I, I guess it's it's cool to hear that you haven't thrown the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Like you've, right. you've really found a way to balance that. And I think that that gives me hope for myself that I can, you know, use what's good about these platforms and, and about these tools. Exactly. But use them as tools and not as addictions. Right. That's 100% true. And the thing is, like, I've heard so many people ask the question, like, is social media good or bad? And the thing is, is it's neutral. It's neither one of those things. Social media is just a thing. There's nothing good or bad about it. It's just a tool that you can use, just like you could use a hammer to build a house or break a window. <laughs> so there's nothing good or bad about social media. It's all in how you use it. So you can use it to become addicted to it and have constant metal cl- mental clutter or you can use it to start a beautiful platform for yourself where you can share your art with other people. And that's a really beautiful, sacred part of social media because that's an innate human connection that we all have. I think we have this innate desire to connect with one another and be able to share and brighten each other's lives and share things that matter. I think that's truly important and that's a wonderful thing to use social media for. So I don't think that social media needs to be looked at as something that is, you know, bad and evil and has to go away. It's all in how we're using it. And so I think if we can be intentional and mindful about how we're using it, it can be a wonderful experience for us and the people that we connect with. When you first decided that you wanted to kind of change your lifestyle around how you're using these tools, what was the first step that you took? And was that a good first step to take? Sure. So the first thing I did was I went off grid for different reasons and for different lengths of time. I was traveling a lot at the time and um, I've traveled a lot throughout my life. So usually when I went on a trip, I would pretty much shut off my phone and I would just use it for phone calls. I would delete all the apps off of it and I would just take that period of time to reflect on 
where I was at in life. A lot of times I would like journal a little bit, make some goals, just write down some thoughts and assess, not even so much goals, but assessing where I was at and what my headspace was like and where I wanted to be going from there and was what I was doing in my life aiding me in that journey. So I would take that time away from my device. I'd usually leave my computer if that was possible. Sometimes it wasn't, but I would definitely not go on any social media or anything like that. Did you ever feel like you started to take things too far and took a step back? And and how would you balance that? So I would, uh, for social media, I, I definitely started to feel, there was definitely a point in my life, my early author career where I started to feel just overwhelmed by social media and how much I was using it and how much time I was spending on it. And of course, I was reading these articles about, you know, oh, if you really want to get your your book out there to your audience, you have to be interacting with them all the time. And I was doing all these things that were just keeping me on the phone and on the computer for hours on end. So I definitely got to a point where I was exhausted and knew I needed to take a step back from it. So I started using those off-grid trips to kind of get a feel for what does life without social media look like. And I had one particularly kind of epiphany experience when I was hiking the Grand Canyon with my father. We hiked down the South Kaibab Trail and stayed the bottom at the bottom of the Grand Canyon overnight. And there was no cell service. There was no Wi-Fi. I didn't even have a way of telling what time it was because I we had no devices that worked. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. This just feels like so liberated, like I'm on a different planet. And I, I thought, you know, I, I shouldn't have to be only at the bottom of the Grand Canyon to feel this sort of rejuvenation. I should be able to invite this into my life on a regular basis. So that made me start looking at, okay, well, how can I still run a business, still run my author career and be able to interact with these amazing people and fans I've met and be able to share my art with them without it being this overwhelming experience. How can I take digital minimalism and apply it to this? And that's when I started looking at, okay, how can I schedule myself so I'm only doing this for a short period of time each day or maybe only a couple times a week? And what if I'm not using my phone? How can I how can I keep it so that my phone isn't just constantly going off next to me, distracting me from my writing or even time with my family? And I started to figure out like, hey, I can use third-party apps on my computer. I can schedule posts that will then branch out and post to different social media platforms that I use. And maybe I don't need to be everywhere. You know, there's this illusion that we have to be on every social media platform making special content for each one. Well, it's it's kind of impossible to do that. And it's it's better to pick the few that work for you and find where where are my people hanging out exactly. And then give your energy to maybe those one or two platforms instead of a bunch of different ones, like five, six different ones, and you end up feeling burnt out. Yeah, I like that approach to it because I think it connects with a good approach to really anything in life because, you know, when you're writing a book, there's so much that you have to do and there's so much that you can do that's not efficient or a waste of time. And if you go into anything with an intentionality to it, I think you can find a way to create a better product. Right. I think that goes too with with what the content that you're putting out on social media. Yeah, for sure. I think approaching anything with intentionalism, and I love to use that word instead of minimalism too, because I think a lot of people get this kind of false conception of minimalism, like 
it's just getting rid of everything you own and not doing anything. Okay, digital minimalism, delete everything and get get rid of all your stuff and sit in an empty room. It's like, well, no, actually, you could replace minimalism with intentionalism or intentional living. And some of that might involve letting go of certain things in your life. I like to use that term better than getting rid of things or you know, decluttering. I like to use the term letting go because we're, we so often hold on to so many things that we don't realize are requiring our time and our attention. And we're not necessarily being intentional with what we want to give our time and attention to. We're kind of just giving time and attention to any given thing that happens to bump into our lives. And we don't even realize that a lot of times. I actually want to start talking a little bit more specifically about your writing. Uh, but before we move on, it, it sounds kind of like a takeaway to this is is if people are struggling with the same issue, a good place to start is giving themselves some sense of some sort of retreat. Yes. Like some sort of way to kind of break the cycle of and I actually I know someone who is who was addicted to smoking for a while and the way that they went about quitting smoking was they went on a vacation. Yeah. He said getting out of his routine and realizing that he didn't need it right. was a huge step for him. And I wonder if, if that same step would be helpful for people who are who feel this kind of attachment that they can't let go of social media, but realizing that, okay, I don't need to be on it as much as I am. And when I am on it, I can be more intentional. Right, for sure. That's a, that's a cool story. That's a great testimonial because what that really is, is this principle of um, my sister and I always call it neurons that fire together, wire together. And what that is, is <laughs> <laughs> it's super geeky. But in brain science, when we form a habit, all it is, is our brain is remembering, oh, okay, when we get up, now we make coffee. That's all it is, okay? It's like... You know, whatever your habit is, whether it's smoking, whether it's getting up in the morning and making coffee, whether it's looking at social media 24 seven, it's okay, we did that. And now the next thing that's firing our mind is to do this because those habits have actually been wired together neurologically in your mind. And as soon as you hit that first domino, the other ones naturally want to fall. And those things become kind of embedded in our subconscious. We don't even realize we're doing them. That's why we don't notice sometimes simple things like washing our hands because it just is so wired into our brains that we don't even have to really consciously think about doing certain things or putting on our socks in the morning. You name it, something really simple. It becomes just a motor skill because those neurons have been so wired into our brains that we no longer even think about it. And you've begun to see people do that with things like devices like phones like picking up their phone to check it for notifications, even if it didn't make a notification sound because that action, that habit is so wired into their brain that they just naturally do that now. And so um, if you can find something like you were just mentioning with your friend who went on the vacation, that broke the pattern. And that's so important. If you can get, even if you have to remove yourself from the environment you're around, the people you're around, those are all triggers. Those are all things that are triggering those same neurological responses to do that same behavior. So if you're trying to take a step back from something that you've identified as being unhealthy, some of the best things you can do is to either psychologically or physically remove yourself from that environment and set up different triggers that will wire new habits into your brain 
healthy habits that you want to develop. And you have to set yourself up in an environment for those habits to become just as easy for you to access as the bad ones. Yeah, because those likes and and the notifications and the feeling that people are responding to something that you're doing, it's the two are, what is it, serotonin and what's the other one? Do you know? I think Um, dopamine. Dopamine, yes. Yeah. So so yeah, you talk about kind of the brain science behind it. And I actually think that that's a big reason why it's important for like your connection with nature and things like this. Like you're, you're mm-hmm. not just stepping away from it. Like you're giving yourself something that's, that's uh, equally or probably more satisfying to kind of what your person needs to, to feel like, oh, I'm doing something right. Like, like I'm, I'm experiencing, you know, uh, the creation around me. I, I'm experiencing these beautiful things in nature, and that's giving me a sense of fulfillment. Right. I'll be like, oh, oh, I'm wasting so much time on social media. Like the amount of time I spent this week, I could have read like three books. <laughs> and, and it's right, exactly. Those three books would have drawn me so much closer to understanding something about the author and myself, and and having some sort of satisfaction beyond, uh, you know, just that that brief hit that you get that you then it never truly satisfies. So you're always coming back to it. Exactly. That's so true. And I think so many of us, and I know I've even been, you know, a a victim of this in the past is we create this like idea of that, that like who we are in social media is who we are and how many likes we are getting and how many people are watching what we put out there or listening to what we put out there or reading our books. That's who we are and it becomes part of our identity. And I think that's why you see so many. And I mean, there's a lot of studies out there about um, anxiety and depression related to social media addiction. And I think that in my opinion is largely because we so associate with who we are and who other people think we are and how they interact with us, that becomes this image of ourselves. And if we didn't, if we suddenly don't have that, then who are we? Well, we don't really know because that's the only version of ourselves we're really familiar with. So I think that's an interesting question to ask yourself is, you know, if if tomorrow every computer and every phone stopped working and the internet ceased to exist, who would I be? And would I still feel like a fulfilled, happy person outside of what I produce and how people interact with it on a platform. Because the answer is we're all so much more than that. That's just something we do. And that's a really simple concept, <laughs> but it's it can be sometimes really hard to distance ourselves from that and see that, hey, I am not the things I create. I am someone outside of that. And if I create things and people enjoy them, that's great. But that doesn't define who I am. And I am someone sacred and precious and loved outside of that. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, th- I think what you're saying connects with kind of the next thing I want to hit on, which is your books. And you had this amazing video recently about searching for Sparrow, which you talk in this video about how this book is a part of you. And so so you talk about, you know, you're not being defined by the book. And I think what you're saying there is you're not defined by, you know, what other people think about your writing, or you're not defined yes. by the fact that you're fully a writer. But you are still putting such a big piece of yourself in your writing, as I think most creatives do. And so can you talk a little bit about 
how this book has been special to you and and how it connects with you and in your lifestyle and all these things that we've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that every like piece of art, things that we create do come from a very special place inside of us, this place of passion and spirit. And they should be this, it should be a loving outpouring of what you feel, your emotions, your spirit, everything that, you know, so much of that goes into art for so many creatives. And so it is part of who you are, but at the same time, you're not defined by what happens to it or what people say about it, like you were just saying. So there is that distance that's a healthy amount of distance, I think, where you're not being defined by what you make, but your heart and soul are in it. A part of you is in it. You're giving a part of yourself to your reader or to whoever is looking at your art, whoever's experiencing your art. You are sharing your heart with that person. But at the same time, you're not overly attached to the response. And so what part of yourself in particular do you feel has come out in your newest book here, Searching for Sparrow? Well, I think in Searching for Sparrow, it's it's a really interesting book about identity and journeys, the journeys we all take to really discover and connect with who we truly are. It has so many um, different characters in it who are kind of pursuing in different ways that same journey, asking tough questions to figure out like who they were really made to be and who is that person? How do we even discover that about ourselves? Doubt and faith and the questions in between all of that is part of the journey and we can actually use those things to become stronger, more passionate versions of ourselves. And so Searching for Sparrow has a lot of characters who are on that exact quest to really figure out who they are and what their mission is, which is something I think connects with, I know it connects with and resonates with me and I'm sure with so many other people, especially during this like time where so many things are turbulent and a lot of questions have been asked. And I think people connect with this idea of like, you know, why am I here? What is my purpose? What, what is my own unique journey? And when you write, do you go, do you go into a book with those themes in mind or do you start writing and you see, you see these themes come out and start to reflect on how that's connected with you? Typically, as I start writing, they kind of just weave their way in. I'm I'm not a super like, I don't really plot very much. So I kind of just will get this idea in my head for, I call myself more of a visionary writer because I'll see like this imagery in my mind of what I want the story to be and sort of the journey the character goes on. And then themes will start to weave in. And yeah, I don't really think too much about the themes beforehand. They kind of just start weaving their way into the story. Yeah, it's funny. When I write, I'll have themes in mind and a lot of them will stick in there, but sometimes a theme that I'm like, oh, that's really important. I have to have that in there somehow. It'll end up being where like something in my subconscious like takes over and says, right. well, no, it's actually this other thing. Yeah. And so a lot of times it's like something something deep within me like corrects like a wrong thinking I'll have or, or it, right. it, it just comes out of nowhere and it's so strange. Yeah, it's, it's, it is really interesting because um, I've experienced that exact thing you're talking about too, where you'll have this idea in your head, but as you start writing, it's like, oh, wait, it's actually this. 
And did you ever feel like like the need to fight that or were you always kind of welcoming to to that process? I've always been kind of welcoming to it because I'm pretty laid back with things like that. So I'll kind of just go with the flow. I'll just kind of ride that wave and see where it takes me. And uh, I think after a while, like it can be kind of freaky at first. <laughs> if it's like your first book and you're like, oh, is this even going to turn out how I wanted? But then if you've written for a while, it's like you're kind of like, okay, I, I know it's going to be okay. I'm not too worried. And so then when those revisions come, how, how do you keep that kind of free spirit that's in the back of your mind helping you write the book? How do you keep that without the practical side, like stamping it out? Right. That That's a good question because um, the editing process can definitely be arduous and um, draining at times when you want to just, you know, be creative and um, let it flow. And it seems like, oh, I got to revise this and that. I guess what I try to do is I try to keep in mind, what am I trying to communicate here and what's important? And if I have beta readers or my editor or someone close to me, like my mom has read my books for years. And so I always let her read it first. And if if she re- she really understands my writing and people who really understand my writing, if they say like, I really don't understand what you mean here. And if I hear that a lot, then I'm like, okay, well, I need to revise that because what I want is to communicate a message. So even if it's, I guess what I try to do is see, am I just sentimentally attached to that thing? <laughs> because sure, yeah. I, I don't want to just be sentimental about something and keep it there like that because what I really want to do is be able to impact my readers. So when I have people who have read my books for a long time tell me like, "Mm, I really, I didn't feel that part or that didn't feel like that character. I'm not sure what you meant here. Then I try to detach from my, um, my emotional attachment to that scene or character and really go off of those suggestions and see what I can do to make the message that I want to shine through more clear. And so Searching for Sparrow, correct me if I'm wrong here, but so so this is tied in with your Blood Race series, but it's a new entry point. Is that right? It is. So it's kind of like a next gen continuation. So it it does have a few of the same characters from the Blood Race series, but it also has a whole new set of next generation characters that have never been in any of the other books. So it is different, but it still has some of the carryover characters from the Blood Race series. Yeah. So kind of taking a step back, so so again, you've you've written this this full series of Blood Race, and now this is this new take on the series. Uh, how long have you been writing in general? Like like when was the first time you thought, oh, I should I want to try writing a story? I think I was like nine years old or something like that. Um, I, I did write some very short, like little stories that I illustrated myself when I was even younger, like six or something. I was always attracted to stories and I loved reading. And it's really because of my mom that I was so into reading and writing because she would read to my sister and I religiously all the time when we were little, basically as much as we wanted. And we always wanted to hear a story. So she was constantly reading to us. We were both homeschooled. So we had lots of time at home being able to extend our reading time as long as we wanted to. And she really encouraged us to explore reading and writing as much as we wanted. We were given as much time as we wanted to explore that. We had to do that. We had ample time. And so that really fostered it kind of fanned the flames of this passion inside me to create my own stories. And I started writing at a pretty young age. Um, I would say my first 
like real story I wrote was when I was about 10. And um, I just kept writing from there. I, I worked on a little series that I still have all the the messy manuscripts that are literally <laughs> pen on printer paper. <laughs> and uh, I just kind of kept going and kept exploring different stories I could write, different genres. I explored so many different things and it was fun because that's how I really found my footing and what I liked to write about. Have you revisited those things in recent years to, to see them again? Yeah, I actually, I have them hanging around my office and I will pick them up from time to time and just reflect on, wow, it's so cool. And it, some of them weren't bad. I'm like, I, I go back through some of my old stuff when I was a kid. I'm like, wow, this is actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that. I So in, in middle school and early high school, I made this like, my uncle gave me this like 3D animation software and you know, being a kid, I was like, well, I'm going to learn how to use this. So I, I made these like <laughs> animated films progressively like harder and harder and longer and longer. And I watched the last one that I did. And it was funny because I was like, okay, some of this is bad, but like some of it's like good and holds up. I don't understand. And then <laughs> on top of that, I also saw, I was like, wait a second, the like theme of the, like the bare minimum story I put in here it like ties into things that I'm interested in and that come out of, of my writing today. And so, That's so cool. it's so funny. It, do you, do you find that I think you kind of hinted at it where some of these things that you were working through as a kid are still important to you now? For sure. And I think that that's so true. When you go back to your roots, a lot of times you will find things that you absolutely still see reflecting in your life now. And I tell artists all the time, um, and my sister and I talk about this a lot on our podcast that like try to, especially when you're stressed out or burnt out, try to go back to like when you were a kid. Remember when you were a kid, it didn't matter necessarily how it turned out. If it was like perfect and flawless, it was just about the joyful act of creating and the wonder and awe that was attached to this amazing act of making something new. And I think a lot of times, some of our best things are created like that. That's why kids are so creative. I mean, kids are constantly creating things out of nothing. That's why it's it's so cool to just watch kids playing. They'll come up with so many different things. And that's just their wellspring of creativity that will flow out of them. And so I think we're kind of trained out of that type of creativity as we be as we become adults, we're taught to, you know, look at things more critically and criticize ourselves. Those are all things we were not born with. We were not born with criticizing ourselves and things like that. We were born with just this innate desire to create, to make something. And I think if we can return to that, that that will so help our creativity now if we let go of some of these things we've learned, if we can unlearn some of these things like, oh, I need to be this, I need to be X, Y, and Z. Well, why? We need to ask ourselves why we're holding ourselves to these standards that we don't necessarily need to be holding ourselves to. Sometimes when we let ourselves just cut loose and create for the simple joy of creating, that's where some of our best work comes from. Like the patterns that you found in in kind of changing your digital lifestyle, have you found things that allow you to reintroduce that creative, that almost like childlike creativity back into your life? For sure. So I have definitely found a lot of joyful, playful, creative, creative time in the slots that I used to fill with social media and things like that. I think by um, 
creating boundaries, I guess I'll say, because it's not about just eliminating. It's about creating boundaries so that you can have room in your day and your schedule to create playfully and mindfully. It's definitely helped me to be able to do that because when I'm not, when my mind isn't constantly occupied with things, that's really the key actually is when you watch kids just having fun, having a good time, they're not, their mind isn't occupied with like 17 different things. And I think in today's society, at least a lot of it, um, there's kind of an encouraged type of um, mindset of thinking about a bunch of different things is encouraged. Even when you scroll through social media and you're looking at like thousands of different people's photos and what they're having for lunch and where they're vacationing, you if you really asked yourself, honestly, how many of these people do I actually know that I actually want to be following what they're doing? It'd be very few. So we're constantly like filling our brains with all this information and we're no longer in the present. So if we can kind of let go of all these things that are keeping our brains constantly occupied, something that I think contributes a lot to anxious feelings and depressed feelings because we're not really here. We're somewhere else. We're always like three different places when we are just looking at our phones, we're having lunch with someone, but we're also looking at text messages from someone else. And we're also taking a call for work. If we can limit those things, we can really find this more joyful, playful place of creation where we're just grounded in the present moment. And um, I think that comes by just letting go of so many of these things that are trying to pull our attention in like 13 different directions. I think too, going back to a word we were using earlier, that intentionality, Yes. um, because it's, it's like, you know, as, as an adult, it's like, you can't fully wipe the slate clean, right? (laughs) Like, like, and, and I don't think, I don't think it would be good to either because I found too, that like more responsibilities in my life you know, whether it had been getting married or getting a dog or getting a house or renovating the house or all these things that add extra joys, but also hardships to life, those things positively affect my writing as well. For sure. But I think what you're saying too, is if we are to dwell on the chaos and try to solve every single issue right right now and, and let all the issues of the day pile up on our typewriter, so to speak, and, and cover up the time that we're trying to dedicate to create. I think those things should can and should influence our art, but it's that matter of not letting it overwhelm your life to the point where you can't breathe. Exactly. Yeah. And I think giving yourself, creating sacred spaces in your life is what I like to call it personally. And Every single thing, every responsibility, like you said, many people have so many different responsibilities in their lives, and that's good and healthy. And each one of those things should really have its own sacred space, including creation, including the act of creating, whether it's writing or whatever your creative craft is. So give that like a slot, like, okay, from this time to this time, I'm writing. And then don't let a bunch of other things like your phone or checking email or I just have to go to YouTube to research this one thing and then two hours later, you know, let those things be scheduled for another time. And social media management can have its own sacred time in your schedule. 
give it a home. Don't let it just be something that invades your creative time or your time with your family. Let it be, okay, from this hour to this hour or this many times a week, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to give my full attention to this thing. I'm going to do my email. I'm going to update my, you know, my social media pages, whatever it is for the unique person. Give it that sacred time of full attention rather than letting the each one of these things sort of overlap each other. And in a way, it's kind of like disrespecting all of them at the same time because you're not giving anything your full attention. You're letting your attention be divided over all these things. Whereas we could give each one of them a place in our schedule and the time that they deserve and inadvertently the respect that they deserve too. So it's not just the all these different responsibilities in life and there's the creative aspect and that has its own sacred spot. Uh, it's also that, you know, you as a creator in particular have not just your writing, but you're into photography and, and, you know, the, the way that you put your YouTubes together are, it's, it's very much like a, the cinematic look and you can tell right. that you're interested in, in film. Um, and you have, you know, this podcast that you do with your sister. So, how do you take that creative space time and spread it out and figure out how to spread it out between your different disciplines? Right. That's a great question. It can be difficult at times for sure. When you have a lot of um, plates spinning, so to speak, uh, to figure out like, okay, how am I going to juggle all these things? And I think really being honest with yourself about your schedule, how much time you actually have. And I, I use different apps for that on my laptop. I like the app Trello because it really helps me to lay out like what my schedule is, what I actually have going on. And then I usually see, okay, wow, I have this space here, here, and here, or I can eliminate these things really don't need to be done. So we can kind of prioritize and then execute based off of that. And that's how I definitely manage my YouTube channel and the podcast that I do with my sister, Abby, because we both have a lot going on. So we have to look at, you know, Hey, when do we actually have time to do this? Um, and what can we eliminate that might not need to be prioritized right now? I know that I'm, uh, I've been a culprit of that for sure in the past where I'll get target fixated on something that I don't even really need to be working on at the time, but I just get like mm -hmm. a, a burst of inspiration or I get distracted. And I'm like, you know, do I really need to be doing this right now? And, and so I think being honest with ourselves and also eliminating things that aren't serving us, like, okay, do I need to be on YouTube right now? And YouTube is, is one of those things that I would say that's probably the only social media vice that I have sometimes is getting distracted on YouTube. And I, I catch myself and think, you know, is this actually serving me? Is, is this beneficial? Is this going to move my day forward in a positive way? And if not, then I take a step back from that. So by being honest about my, with myself about my schedule, I can usually find time, okay, this is when I'm going to make a YouTube video and I'm not going to let myself get distracted on a bunch of things. You can even turn off your Wi-Fi if you need to or set, I know some computers have like um, built in like downtime or something where you can just select, hey, I only want these apps to work. Stuff like that can be really helpful because it's just a gentle reminder. Hey, you set it aside this time to create this YouTube video or to edit the podcast and those things take time. And 
if they're important to you, give them the time they need instead of getting distracted with other things. And of course, I mean, with like people listening who have families and, you know, children or animals that they have to take care of, things like that. Yeah. I mean, sometimes those are going to distract you and you're going to just have to, you know, set down what you're doing to deal with life happening. That's absolutely a a given. But I think if we can eliminate the things that we don't need to be doing, we have time for that. And in a way that's like, you know, a beautiful, that's the beautiful sacred flow of life is, you know, sometimes that's going to happen. There's going to be interruptions and distractions, but I think we can minimize how frustrated we are with those occurrences when we are being honest with ourselves about like what time we're wasting that we shouldn't be. Then when those interruptions come up, it doesn't even really matter because we've already made our schedules so efficient. We've already made our workflow more efficient because we're being true to respecting our creative time. Yeah, it's funny with, uh, so my wife and I got uh, a puppy this year and it's funny that, you know, in a lot of ways it's like, oh man, like all this extra stuff with a dog is taking away from writing time. Like sometimes I look at it like that and in some ways it's true, but at the end of the day, I've realized too that it's actually been a big motivator to better schedule my life. And so I realized like, Oh, I, if I want to get this done, like I have to get it done now. Like, like the dog is taking a nap. That's cold. <laughs> like, you know, it's, exactly. So, yeah. So it's kind of been this, this way to find, you know, forcing me to be more efficient instead of like, Oh, whatever. Like I can do this. I can do this whenever it'll work out. And, and then, you know, it's like, well, the time slips by that way. Exactly. Whereas if I'm, and again, here's that word again, intentional. Uh, if right. I'm intentional about how to use my time, I can use the fact that, okay, well, we have this amazing uh, new dog and we want to spend time with it. And so I need to be intentional about how I spend my time so I'm not letting all of my goals slip away um, because right. of the dog. But I also am not neglecting the dog because I'm doing, I'm, I'm progressing towards my goals at the the right times. Right, exactly. Like we had um, Dave Chesson of Kindlepreneur. You've probably heard of his software. It's awesome for yeah. authors. He, We had him on the podcast, I think last summer. And he was talking about when he was first starting out with uh, publishing his books and how he had kids that were young. And he would get up at like something like four o'clock in the morning every morning to write for a few hours. And that was his writing time. And I just thought, I'm like, wow, that's a great example of how even when you have a lot of responsibilities, find what works works for you and figure out, okay, when do I have this time right now? Okay. I'm going to just take that. I'm going to go for it. I'm not going to let other things like, I'm not going to check my email. I'm not going to do these other things. I'm going to really buckle down and take this time for myself to write. And then the other responsibilities I have will happen when they need to happen. But at least I know I'm being true to the time I need. So again, going back to all the different things that you're involved in creatively, um, what is it about you being, you know, not only involved in writing, but photography and filmmaking and podcasting, all these different things? What about that to you is worth the struggle of balancing all those plates? Right. Well, I think that everything you do has to come from a place of passion and it has to matter to you in some way. And so when you can figure out like, why am I doing what I'm doing and why does it matter to me? And that's something I started to ask myself more and more as I uh, practice minimalism is everything in my life became a presence that I had to 
ask myself, like, why am I holding on to this? Is this serving me in a positive way? Is this serving others in a positive way? And I started asking myself that about things I would create and share. Like, why am I sharing this? And I think that's such an important question to take a moment to ask yourself is, you know, is this just for me? Is this, um, is this ego really? And, um, ego isn't anything to like be afraid or ashamed of. Everyone has an ego. And so it's important to just take a moment to see, you know, is this my ego leading me here or is it my heart? Is this coming from a place of wanting to serve others or is this to kind of bolster my own ego or confidence? And so when I started to ask myself that about things that I was um, sharing on my channel, on uh, social media, on my blog, things like that, and even through writing and photography, um, it made me more intentional about why I wanted to do those things and inspired the passion to create in those areas even more because I could see the purpose behind them. And so that's why I really became laser focused on giving them each the an allotted time in my schedule because I could see the importance of each of them, even though it is a lot of work to spin all those plates and do all those things. I could see the purpose behind why I was doing it. And as I started to become more minimalist and eliminate things from my life that weren't serving me, I found that I actually have I, I for on a daily basis, I have a lot of free time even with everything I'm doing, because I've come to a place where I really do so few things that I can really be just super, <laughs> I can go like, you know, right into those things. I can really spend a lot of time on those things because I have eliminated other things I was doing that weren't serving me, like spending two hours trying to, you know, market on Instagram, things that I didn't even necessarily want to do, but articles and online resources were telling me you should be doing X, Y, and Z. Sometimes we have to check with ourselves and see like, well, is this what I feel led to do? And what is the purpose behind this? And as we start doing those things from more of a place of purpose and passion, I think results follow. Well, I think that's an awesome place to stop. Uh, Kate, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed this discussion. We talked about so much and so much that that is relevant to my daily life. And I think a lot of what you've said, I'm going to take to heart and understand better my intentionality coming to things. And I think I think our listeners will too. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, John. It was a great conversation. I'm so glad that for the opportunity to be here today and talk about all of this. It's been awesome. Where can people find you online and where can they read your books? So they can find my books on any um, online book retailer, including Amazon and Barnes and Noble, things like that. They can also start my series for free at kmns.com. And they can find me on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Thanks so much again. It was, it was great talking with you. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate it. It's been great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause of Craft. You can find links to Kate's books in the show notes. I'll also include links to her YouTube channel and her podcast, The Kate and Abby Show. And you can start her series for free by visiting her website, kemmons.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and sharing with a friend. Every week, I interview a different artist about their process and why we create. It's amazing what we can learn from different people about our own craft, and I'm excited to continue sharing these conversations with you. You can follow me on Instagram at John Tilton and the show at Cause of Craft. There I post updates and visual companions for every episode. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.